The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. In Theravadan Buddhism, the kind of Buddhism we're part of, I think it'd be rare if there was discussion about sila, especially for people who are uh, lay people, without some reference to the five precepts. And um, it's possible that the, uh, you know, it's very common in English to call them the precepts. And um, the, the word, English word precepts is, um, if you look at the dictionary, it means different kinds of things. Um, and, um, and they all c- can kind of work because the words, um, uh, the, the Pali word for precepts is, uh, kind of has a rich range of meanings. But um, one of the, um, when people formally take the precepts, formally live by the so-called, what we call precepts, uh, they're not called precepts then. Uh, you know, they chant, you know, uh, they're called um, uh, trainings. And so the five precepts are called the five trainings. And there's a very different feeling around them. We call them trainings and we call them precepts. And... Um, and so uh, it's a sikha, is the Pali word, panchasika. Uh, there is panchasila, which that's what's most commonly translated as a five precepts. If the people use if it's with panchasila. But sila doesn't mean precepts, it means virtue. So five virtues. And, um, and then sometimes the, the, the so-called five precepts are called the five dhammas, panchadhamma. And, um, and dhamma can mean variety of things. It, it can mean truth, and truth seems pretty good, five truths. But it, it also is a very common word that just means things, five, five things. And I love it that it's called five things because um, it takes kind of a little bit of sting out of, out of it that's sometimes there with precepts. Like precepts, for some people, it sounds like commandments or you, know, you have to do something. But call them five precepts, uh, five trainings. Because they're, um, so rather than something we undertake because, because it's either or, like we have, this is what we have to do, it's more like these are opportunities for us to train ourselves, to become more ethical, to become more wise, to become more free, to become more compassionate. And so one of the motivations that people have for taking on the precepts, living by the precepts, is to train themselves, to better themselves, to become a better person in the process with the understanding that, yes, you'll probably fail sometimes, probably you'll mess up, probably you'll, you won't do it. But, um, you know, uh, that just means you have to get up and try again, get back on the horse and try again and try again. And so the emphasis is more on how we're developing ourselves than looking at uh, this as kind of, did I do it right or wrong? Am I a bad or good person? It's like we, underst- we understand that these are actually powerful ways to become uh, freer, more compassionate, better ourselves. And, um, and so to live by the precepts is to live with them as mirrors, as teachers, mirrors so we can look at our behavior. So the precept says, don't kill. So that means in the past I killed with impunity. I just, you know, whatever insects there were, I just like, you know, did them. But now, um, because I have this precept not to kill, I think I'm going to stop and think about it. And so, but why am I doing this? Why am I, motiv- why am I motivated to do this? 
Um, I remember when I, I mean, it still troubles me when I remember it. Uh, when I was about 11, I had a friend who uh, uh, liked to take a, a, a lighter and burn ants. And, you know, it was an awful thing to do, I thought. And I thought it was awful then, but I was just confused by it. I didn't stop him. I was just like, what? And, um, and then, um, uh, you know, I don't want to kill even an insect. I've uh, been known to ch- uh, chase mosquitoes in my house and then catch them. And then tells people, open the door, open the door. Because <laughs> they, they can't, right? <laughs> and, and then release them outside. And as opposed to swatting them. So, um, so to, to use mirrors, you know, why, do, why are we doing what we're doing? You know, if we want to kill, you know, why do we, the insect, why? Why do we want to do that? What's motivating us? What's happening for us? Are there alternatives? Um, <clears throat> uh, so they're mirrors. They're also teachers because uh, we see that we want to kill an insect, for example, and then we say, you know, we use them to learn about ourselves. Um, you know, this is, I'm not coming from compassion now, I'm coming from fear, I'm coming from hostility, and I don't want to, you know, that's not a place I want to come from. I'm not training to train myself in hostility. I'm training myself to come in with compassion. So we would <clears throat> use that as a teacher for ourselves. And then um, it's also a training in how to be in society, in the world, because uh, one of the uh, ideas in Buddhism is that the five precepts are five gifts that we give others. So we're giving people the gift of safety. And so, um, so we do train ourselves in becoming safe in the world. A lot of people don't have safety in our society, in our wider world. And to be around someone they feel safe with is quite a, for some individuals, it's like a huge gift. Um, I've known people who've come to Buddhist centers <clears throat> <clears throat> and said, I've never been uh, in any community, any place in my life, ever, until now that I felt safe. And there's something about, you know, maybe people living an ethical life, basically, or holding each other kindly or the, compassionately, that gave the, some people I've known a uh, first experience of their life of being safe. So the idea of uh, giving people the gift of safety is... A, Living by the precepts is a gift, even though you don't want to. Live, <clears throat> you don't want to live by the precepts. Like you couldn't care less for yourself, <laughs> but um, but uh, you do care what other people are happens to them, and so it's out of uh, out of generosity to them. Um, so in this sense, um, the the precepts are training guidelines, and not rules. Or they're training, you know, they're they're training rules, you know. Or, guides for us how to live our lives. And um, so this idea of, uh, you know, being punished that Mary was concerned about earlier, uh, you know, it doesn't come so much into play if, you, if this is how you're training. And so it's seen as being a voluntary thing you're doing, that you've agreed that you want to train this way, you want to develop yourself this way. And I think for some of us, it's more inspiring to train ourselves in goodness than it is to hold ourselves to, to just hard by a rule. So we have five, five training guidelines, five trainings that we can develop ourselves with. One is um, <clears throat> not killing. Turns out that the Pali for not killing, it doesn't say not killing. It says uh, we, uh, not striking out at anything. 
<clears throat> so it's actually a strong, it's actually a stronger kind of training than not killing. It's you don't, you don't cause physical harm to anything. So it's a higher standard, I think, than not killing. And so not causing harm, <clears throat> not, not striking, not causing physical harm to anyone. And then the second is, um, doesn't say not stealing, it's not taking what's not given. And that's also considered to be a higher standard than not stealing. If it's not been offered, then don't take it. So make it, so it has to be somehow clearly, um, explicitly, or in some clear, implicit way been offered. And then we can, we can take it. For monastics, there's a rule that if you're in the wild jungles and there's a fruit on the tree, and it's clearly no one owns the land and no one owns the tree, <clears throat> and that, um, I think I don't think they can pick the fruit from the tree, but it falls on the ground. They have to yell out at the top of their voice, does this belong to anyone? <laughs> Just to be 100% sure. And I, I think that kind of, you know, that kind of extra, going, going the extra distance is kind of a nice... So not taking what is not given. <clears throat> and then there's no uh, av- avoiding sexual misconduct. And I mentioned that in the morning. Uh, I like to think of it as uh, avoiding harm based on our sexuality. And that's, you know, a wide, wide range of things that can cause harm with the way we are involved in this world of sex- our sexuality and the world of sex. And um, so be careful not to cause harm. And it's hard to imagine that uh, someone who causes harm through their sexuality is not simultaneously causing harm to themselves. Um, I think generally think that it involves some kind of disrespect of others, some kind of objectifying of others, some kind of over, overly self-preoccupation, uh, uh, all of which is harmful to the person who is doing it. So to train in, in avoiding sexual misconduct is partly to train in freeing ourselves up so that we are not being motivated by forces which cause our, ourselves harm as well. And then um, not lying. Uh, not to, I think literally it says not using false speech. And um, for some people that's the hardest precept to follow <clears throat> because, you know, the people, you know, don't quite say the truth, they say kind of the truth, you know, and, <clears throat> you know, and sometimes they say what they say is not true, is about themselves. I'm the worst precept breaker ever. You know, I'm just, the, you know, I, you know, I can't meditate at all. I'm the last person at IMC to meditate, you know, I'm just a disaster. You know, that, that kind of self-talk is a kind of, kind of false speech that's not helpful. <clears throat> And then, <clears throat> and then the last one about the about the uh, uh, intoxication, no, no, not involving intoxicating substances. Um, it, it kind of belongs to a different class, or different, you know, uh, than the first four. The first four clearly involve causing harm. And you know, you, the first four are usually something we do in relationship to other people. The, the fifth precept you can do alone. You can go. To, you can drink alcohol and take drugs in the privacy of your home, and you know keep the doors locked so so you're locked in, and so you don't cause any harm. You don't. You're not going to cause anybody any harm, and so some people will justify their private use of alcohol or drugs because they're not causing harm. 
so it's not inherently something that causes harm. It's not inherently motivated by um, uh, hostility or the kind of some of those or greed, the kind of things that are motivating the, uh, breaking the first four uh, training rules. The usual one of the ways of justifying or or stressing the importance of this precept is that um, uh, once you're intoxicated, it's too easy to break the other four. <laughs> And so it's a way of protecting yourself and protecting others <clears throat> from it. And as I said earlier today, um, uh, I think that when uh, uh, there's so much challenge, so many challenges people have in our society around alcohol and drugs, that uh, when we have a society that condones it and just has liquor stores and so many different, you know, so easily accessible uh, to everyone, that uh, it, it, we create a culture where that's kind of expected. Some people go to, you know, office parties at work, work parties, and it's expected you're supposed to be drinking, and it feels very like it feels like you're you're the odd person out if you don't. So to um, you know, and that cause it causes harm. It, people make mistakes. People cause all kinds of things happen, and um, and so to uh, to be careful for oneself, so one doesn't do what one is not heedless and doesn't kind of act uh, impulsively on things later you regret or whether it's trying to create a better society for the world around us. Um, the training, in, um, in, uh, one of the trainings is not to, to avoid intoxication. Here also, I think, and with intoxication, it's very important to look at the motivation that we have, <clears throat> or and the consequence we have. Because uh, what we're trying to do, if we're practitioners of mindfulness, or Buddhist practitioners, we're trying to develop a clear mind. And uh, generally, when people take alcohol, they lose their clarity. It's kind of like you're taking us in the opposite direction we want to go. And so if, if people, I know people who uh, put a lot of time into their mindfulness, developing clarity, developing stability of mind, and, um, and uh, it's just not worth sacrificing what they've built up and created to cloud their mind when they've kind of spent all this time to get themselves unclouded, to get, get clear. Some people, it's, uh, that becomes the most obvious when they leave a retreat. They spend seven days or two weeks on a retreat. <clears throat> and, uh, and then, you know, they, their friend picks them up at the retreat center to drive them home and say, let's go to the bar. You know, it's like, you know, please, you know, I just spent all this time getting clear and I want to enjoy it now for a while. So these are the training, kind of the five trainings, and um, they have. There's three different aspects to these: how, how they're understood or practiced. <clears throat> One is that they're practiced as rules of restraint, and that is you avoid doing certain things. And some people complain that they're stated negatively, because some people want to have a positive, uh, inspired kind of spirituality. And, uh, and, you know, it's kind of a downer. What you, you know, all this list, you're not supposed to do this, not supposed to do this, you know. You know they become the Buddhists again. <clears throat> and uh, with all the things not to do. But one of the reasons, uh, there's a couple of reasons for the respect, uh, why it's said it negatively that I can think of. One is that um, it's really clear. Like not to kill. Some people have tried to turn, the, turn it around and say it positively and say, live with respect and compassion for life. But that's, that's getting ambiguous. W- what's compassionate? 
you know, what is respect? How do we, you know, then you can kind of, well, you know, but not to kill is, you know, much more clear. So as a training uh, guideline, it's a much clearer one to bump up against and, and to be quest to question and to look at yourself and understand what's going on. Um, and there's not gonna, it's harder to fudge around it. Like with intoxication, don't intoxicate versus, a, uh, you know, uh, have a clear mind. Well, you know, I'm pretty clear when I have just a little bit. I get clear, actually. It's kind of, <laughs> you know, so uh, this seems to work well for me. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, that's, that's uh, the, the clarity of that. And um, it also goes along with a general kind of tendency in early Buddhism um, to, um, as, uh, to state the goal of practice in negative terms, in terms of uh, what it's not. And, uh, and some people don't find that inspiring, but I find it very inspiring because uh, rather, than, rather than telling us what we're supposed to be, it's telling us what to avoid so we can, so what's supposed to be can just be. As opposed to, I have not, if I'm told I'm supposed to be compassionate, then I have to kind of get myself into compassion gear. <clears throat> if I'm told to avoid hostility, and I figure out how to let go of my hostility, then I'm available, my heart's open, I'm available to respond in the way that's appropriate in the circumstance. Maybe the situation doesn't call for compassion. Maybe it call, calls for some other kind of response. Uh, so, so, so rather than pre-deciding what the, you know, preordaining what the right way of being is, the idea with the, um, with these negative statements is to help get out, of, get out of our way. And then once we're out of the way, the open heart can find its way with what needs to happen. So one aspect of the precepts is the precepts of restraint. The other is that they are, in fact, um, expressions of compassion. So, uh, so we're not just trying to avoid something, but we're trying to come from compassionate place and to live by the precepts is a compassionate thing to do in our world. Some people might say it's not enough because, again, they're mostly negative, what you don't do. <clears throat> but if we see what goes on in our world around us, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, if that's all human beings did was to avoid breaking the five precepts, it would be like a whole different universe that we we're living in. And the last aspect, so there's, there's three levels, or three different aspects. So there's a, the aspect of restraint, the, ax, uh, um, the aspect of uh, compassion, <clears throat> and the third aspect is uh, uh, inherent virtue. That which is, uh, uh, it's not really a matter even of wanting to um, be compassionate. It's just that the precepts are naturally how we live our lives. We're naturally not going to uh, cause harm. We're naturally not going to s- steal or lie. It's just like we're not capable of it. It's not like what we're interested in. So that doesn't come out of us. It's just like there's nothing in there. There's no. There's not that. Mo- those motivations don't exist in us, and so it becomes our character in a sense, uh, rather than actions that we do. So those are kind of the three different levels that uh, some people find helpful. Um, some people find that the negative one, the, the, the avoidance, <clears throat> uh, uh, just easier to understand and the easier to get behind. <clears throat> and 
And, uh, and then as people train in these, uh, they touch into uh, goodness that's, uh, buried, that's maybe been buried in our hearts. And that goodness begins to shine. And then we start finding ourselves acting from that goodness, from compassion. And then as that goodness becomes stronger and stronger and we act on it and develop it and follow through on it, it becomes our character, it becomes who we are. So five precepts, five training guidelines, five, five trainings that we do, five things that we can take on. And um, so any comments about that, any questions or reactions? Yes, please. Can you, they're by here. <clears throat> I've heard the first one, not causing harm, not to be restricted to physical killing, like looks can kill or killing people with your thoughts or your words, which is also very interesting. I think so. I think it points to uh, another aspect of kind of layers of depth that these precepts can have, that... uh, uh, you know, for some people, at some point in their training, you take it at the most uh, literal level, don't kill. And then as they become more trained or the heart becomes more understanding, there's more mindfulness and more caring, then we realize we don't want to cause any harm to anyone. And so it's understood to be not causing harm. Um, I think that, um, yeah, so maybe that's all I'll say. Yes? The precept of the second one to refrain from taking what's not given, is it okay then to ask for things? I think that for a lay person it is. Uh, monastics have rules against asking or, or making leading statements. <clears throat> you know, oh, you know, uh, green water bottles are really nice. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so monastics are not supposed to even, you know, that's, and even doing it as lay people, you know, oh, you know, green water bottles, I dream of green water bottles. <clears throat> you know, even that, you know, seems to kind of, you know, yucky, right? You know, kind of, you know, to kind of manipulate the situation so I can get a bottle that I don't need. Or need something. I think um, it's fine. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's always fine to ask, but uh, I think it look a little bit on your motivation, you know. And, um, <clears throat> I think I told a story recently of many years ago. Uh, Ajahn Amaro, this monk, had uh, was given a smartphone, one of the first smartphones ever. I think it was a smartphone. It was it was like a thousand dollars, and was flat <clears throat> when phones weren't flat. And uh, it did all this stuff. And, uh, and I looked at him and said, you know, what are you? You're a renunciant. You're not supposed to have any, you know, you have no money. And, and uh, you know, you're, you're supposed to live basically a life of poverty, kind of. And, <clears throat> and I said, what are you doing with a smartphone? And he said, well, someone gave it to me. It was a gift. And, um, and I figured it was okay to keep it as long as if, I, if anybody asked me for it, I'd give it to them. <laughs> so I was tempted. <laughs> and, but not so much that I wanted it. I, I, I wanted to test. I wanted to test him. <laughs> so I could. But you know, I could. So I could have asked him for it. But I think it. You know, it, it, w- it would have been kind of weird. <laughs> so you know, 
there's, there's, you know, there's different kinds of asking. But yeah, if you need, you know, if, if you have a need, a real need, and I think it's okay to ask. Give people the opportunity. I think it's very funny that this came up because I've been eyeing this box of gin gin candies like all day <laughs> and I know they're not mine and um, I kind of I had this thought like well if this were my friend's box and like I knew this was my friend's box I would feel no hesitation about saying I'm really having a hankering for a gin gin can I please have one because I would have such um, confidence that this friend would understand that this is clearly a, a request that there's no part of our relationship that hinges on their um, acquiescing. And that like a no is perfectly fine if they're like, "That's my last box. Can, <laughs> I'll buy you one, like some, you know, or something." But if it's not someone that I have a relationship with, there might be kind of a feeling of because we don't know each other, there's a necessity to be polite, and then. It's like, oh, we might, I might be, like, starting a relationship. Like, maybe these are gills and, like, <laughs> you know, and I don't know. Yeah, this is a rich opportunity right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, news to me that we have candy over there. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe it's for my sake. Maybe it's there because people are ready to help me when I have one of my. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Learning the precepts was really helpful to me as a uh, relatively new stepmother when um, my stepson was nine, ten maybe, and uh, I picked him up from school and was bringing him home. He's sitting in the back seat because he's still at the back seat age. And he said, I found a watch on the playground. Uh, and some people say, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. What do you think? So obviously he wasn't quite sure that this was the whole story. And what immediately popped into mind was I said, well, the Buddhists have this guideline about not taking what isn't freely offered. Do you think that other kid meant to leave his or her watch on the playground for you? And he said, no. And then he said, you take it back to the office. <laughs> whether he didn't want to be seen as having perhaps stolen it or whether he just wasn't sure he could follow through, I'll never know. But um, he gave it to me and I took it back to the office. Nice. And I'm still grateful for that teaching because it helped me mm -hmm. help him think about it a little uh, bit more broadly. Nice. I think it depends on the culture, too. I find that um, in U.S. in general, people don't steal things. You know, if you put it on the table while you're eating lunch. But like in Italy or Indonesia, 
you know, you have to watch for your things because they will steal from you. You know, it's just, uh, it depends on the culture also. And my question is not about that, but about uh, killing mosquitoes. Um, when I was in India, there was, uh, well, people say there's a, an outbreak of dengue fever. So at the airport, um, Delhi airport, believe it or not, I was um, just killing mosquitoes around me and killing mosquitoes around my daughter, like, you know, machine guns. And uh, after a while, I was like, oh, shoot, I just killed living beings. You know, I, after all that, and I realized I just broke the precept, and I felt really bad. And, but then I was thinking, you know, it's either harming the mosquitoes or harming me and my daughter. So I, I justified that I was trying to protect myself and my daughter from yeah. getting the dengue fever or whatever the outbreak is. Yeah, <clears throat> and this is, the, this is the kind of uh, evaluation that people do in their lives. And we have to, different people will decide different points in the scale. So for example, uh, most people that I know, but not everyone, uh, most people I know are content to, uh, if they have uh, bacterial infection to take anti- antibiotics, which kills, you know, millions and millions of living beings, right, the bacteria, and or kill parasites in our stomach. Uh, so those kinds of living beings, okay to kill those. And then, um, and, you know, and some people are happy to, you know, you know, someone's a you know the butcher is willing to kill a cow or a pig, but you know to kill their own pet, you know, like, you know, no way. I mean, that crosses the line. I can't, you know, I can't get, you know, kill my pet, and um, you know, so so where's the you know different? So people have lines, you know, so different people have different points in that gradation from bacteria to human beings, where they feel like in order to be safe, in order to take care of myself. I need to kill this this living being, and uh, so so mosquitoes is one. I mean, we have a society around here. Sometimes they spray in in order to uh, protect people from the West Nile virus, and uh, in some places now the Zika virus, and um, and I think the government is expected to take care of us that way, and we're kind of condoning it. Um, so you know, I'd probably you know if there was a, a serious mosquito in my home that was going to, you know, really cause serious harm, illness to my kids, I would try to do, I, I might end up figuring out some way to kill them myself. I don't know if I would stop it. But the important thing for me is that I don't know how different people are going to evaluate this, where the line is and when they decide to involve, be involved in taking life. But what I, I think is very, uh, what I'd like to have people do who are Buddhists, Buddhist practitioners or inspired, just wise people, is they don't do it automatically or instinctively. But they actually, every time they do it, they really reflect deeply and they question it and wonder, is this really appropriate? Should I do this? And also to always ask, is there an alternative? Is there an alternative? So, you know, maybe this is silly, but next time you go to India with your daughter, you, you travel that with one of those little hats that have mosquito net. That, that, <laughs> you know, and, uh, yeah. 
and so you don't have to worry, or you get, the, you know, or they, for your hands, or they, now they have clothes you can buy in REI that are filled with mosquito repellent. And so you, you, you know, you really plan ahead so that, think about what the alternatives are. And, um, and so, um, you know, so, you know, we have, periodically over the years, we have ant infestations in our house, in our kitchen. I mean, not just periodically, it happens regularly enough. But partly we just live with it now. It's just like, you know, we share the house with them and, you know, we, we usually come for food that's been left out. So, so but now we, we try to keep it impeccably clean in the kitchen. As opposed to getting um, an ant poison, you know, which I'd, I don't want to do. I'd rather kind of either be impeccably clean or somehow just live with them a little bit and, you know, and and uh, be patient with them and we clean up the food that they found on the kitchen counter, uh, they'll go away after a couple hours. You know, we, I, can, I can live with them for a couple hours. And, and um, so, <clears throat> so, you know, so to question and look at the alternatives and look what we're willing, willing to live with um, instead of doing the instinctual, this is yucky, this is bad or something. Uh, I think that questioning and that uh, reflecting and that um, you know, considering alternatives um, uh, is, is, I think, is very important, and that's what I hope people will do, rather than just making a, a decision. Thank you. And as a society too, and the questions like, uh, like um, uh, capital punishment, you know, have we really considered all the different issues? Have we looked at the alternatives, and for us as a society, um, and um, and, um, you know, I, would, I, I suspect that as a society as a whole, we haven't really had the full discussion about this. So I, I hope that today has uh, shown you that uh, virtue and ethics is a worthwhile thing to reflect on and think about. Um, some of the most exciting aspects of human life that we read novels and make movies about and um, have to do with ethics. You know, but probably... Most movies, most, most novels would be uninteresting if someone wasn't unethical in some way or other. <laughs> and um, the, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, it touches into I think, core aspects of human existence and what motivates people, what drives people, uh, what's possible for human beings in terms of uh, developing uh, uh, our capacities for freedom and compassion. I think it's a very rich area in our life and it's well worth uh, uh, exploring, getting to know, being concerned about, being thoughtful about, reading about, learning about. And um, it's not like, I don't think of it as being uh, elementary school Buddhism. You know, just you have to get through it so you can get to the important things. You know, meditation or experiences of transformative liberation or something. I think that it's uh, as valuable and rich as part of human life as anything else. And it's very practical because it has to do with how we live our lives. And if uh, Buddhism is not about how we live our lives, then it's probably not so useful for the rest of us. So those are my thoughts. And uh, yes, please. That's great. Thank you for reminding me. Let's go around and say names. So before we end now, if everyone can just go around and say your name, we'll start with Yolana. I'm Yolana. 
I'm Anne. Susan. Kate. Michal. Yeah, I think you know me. Courtney. Mary. Kate. Bill. Jenny. Nisar. Anne. Angie. Kate. Diane. Great. Thank you all. So um, it would be helpful if a few of you could stay behind to clean the bathrooms. I think the floor was swept out there. And maybe the kitchen was cleaned after lunch. But are there maybe three people who could stay and clean the bathrooms and maybe vacuum this floor here? Maybe four people? One, two, three. Okay, well maybe then focus the three of you. Maybe you can do the bathrooms. That would be great. And, um, and hopefully they have a day long tomorrow. They'll vacuum here. So thank you all. And um, sorry, and put the chairs back. And um, and next time, I think the next parami is a renunciation, letting go, becoming free. So see you in November. Thank you.